0: It's 6 p.m. and you're tuned to your community radio station, KVMR-FM, Nevada City, KCPC, Camino. Today is Wednesday, June 28th, and this is the KVMR Evening News. I'm Julia Jem. The Supreme Court's decision to overturn the constitutional right to an abortion is affecting service providers in Southern California. The California report covers the barriers that some Planned Parenthood patients are facing. Then, after a look at local news and weather, Sid Brown brings the latest news about our local parks and trails in a walk in the park. That's all before KVMR's Al Stoller speaks with a Tribal Historic Preservation Officer about the development of a lithium mine in northern Nevada.
1: This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. Requests for gender-affirming health care in California prisons more than doubled last year. And officials expect this trend to continue, even as the state's overall prison population declines. Annabelle Sosa from the online news site CalMatters has the details.
0: The jump-in request comes as California prisons have been tracking their transgender populations more closely and implementing policies to better support them. Several years ago, we became the first state in the nation to grant inmates gender-affirming surgeries, and we also now allow prisoners to request a transfer to facilities that align with their gender identity. While California has put a number of landmark policies in place to support trans and gender-diverse prisoners, officials say inmates' requests are backed up because of a staffing shortage. For example, there are currently over 300 prisoners waiting to transfer facilities. Since California adopted these policies, Many other states have also implemented policies of their own. For The California Report, I'm Annabelle Sosa.
1: The U.S. Supreme Court's decision to overturn the constitutional right to an abortion is having a huge impact on service providers in Orange and San Bernardino counties. John Dunn, President and CEO of Planned Parenthood of Orange and San Bernardino counties, says in the years since that decision, they've seen twice as many out-of-state patients seeking abortion services.
2: Our patients are finding that there are significant barriers to getting here. And you can imagine when you've got patients driving overnight, sometimes, thousands of miles there are huge barriers often when patients call us we have an appointment in the next few days but they will ask for an appointment two weeks out because they recognize it's going to take them that long to organize child care find a way to get away from their job
1: The two counties, San Bernardino and Orange, have seen 451 out-of-state patients since the Dobbs decision. Dunn says patients came from 32 states, mostly from Texas and Arizona, but also from as far away as Florida. Patients from states like Nevada and Colorado, where abortions remain legal, have also been coming to California because a surge in patients has overwhelmed their clinics. Support for the California Report comes from PaintCare. now with more than 850 drop-off sites in California where households and businesses can recycle their leftover paint. More at paintcare.org. The James Irvine Foundation, committed to a California where all low-income workers have the power to advance economically. Learn more at irvine.org. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt through the Schmidt Family Foundation, working together to create a just world where all people have access to renewable energy, clean air and water, and healthy food. On the web at theschmidt.org. A majority of Californians live in places where the supply of licensed child care just doesn't meet the demand. That means that every childcare business that opens and closes matters a lot. Federal funds help many child care providers stay open during what was really difficult times during the pandemic. But that funding is coming to an end. KQED's Amanda Stupai reports on what's at stake. Monterio sits along the Russian River, about two
3: hours north of San Francisco. Redwood trees dominate the skyline, and a big sign that reads, Monte Rio Vacation Wonderland, hangs downtown. Today is Rio Fest. There's music, food trucks, hula hoopers, and drag queens. Across from the stage, Anai Flores sits among a row of vendors. She's talking to a mom-to-be about child care.
4: Once you have your baby, call us and let us know that you'd like to um, set up subsidized child care. Where do you live?
3: She does outreach for River to Coast Children's Services, and a big part of her job is recruiting new child care providers.
4: You or anybody that you know is interested or already doing the care and they just need help with the licensing process, um, send them our way. We're always
3: looking for more providers. 60% of Californians live in a child care desert, according to a 2018 analysis by the Center for American Progress. Care is hardest to come by in rural areas of the state, like out here in western Sonoma County.
4: The amount of providers that we have out in this area is very, 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 very slim. <laughs> um, so that makes it a little difficult to find quality child care.
3: Flores' work is part of California's Child Care Initiative Project. It's the state's effort to recruit and train childcare providers who operate out of their homes. The project got a big boost of $25 million from the American Rescue Plan Act, or ARPA. That money helped them open over 900 new in-home child cares and reopen nearly 450 between 2021 and 2022. Outreach workers like Flores use the funding to help providers cover startup costs.
4: So startup materials, trainings, we're able to help them pay for the fees, like the licensing fees for their application, CPR, things like that. So that's a big help for these providers that are starting out, that don't have the money to
3: kind of pay for all these things, because at the end of the day, they do add up. But the federal funding was just a one-time investment. And with a few exceptions, agencies like the one Flores works for need to spend those funds by June 30th. Carolina Castillo Quintero manages the Child Care Initiative Project. She says the end of ARPA funds means a return to budget constraints that make it difficult to reach people. It would be beneficial to all, really, to all of California to be able to receive additional funding so that we could provide essentially more support to those who want to open up a business, to those who are interested in expanding their business, to those who are you know, needing to to stay open. Back at the festival, Flores is still talking to families. Her work will continue even after the federal funds end, but her reach will likely be narrowed. She might not be able to support as many new providers. That's
4: kind of the hard part, because after these funds are gone, um, the need for childcare is still going to be
3: there. But she'll keep showing up at community events like this one. She says consistency builds trust, and that's vital to her work the California Report. I'm Amanda Stupai.
1: And that story was produced with support from the USC Annenberg Center for Health Journalism. And finally this morning, persistent high temperatures in Texas and the southeastern U.S. have been much in the news recently. But starting tomorrow, many inland California cities can expect to see their temperatures soar, like in Redding, where it could reach 110 degrees this weekend. Be careful out there, remember to hydrate, and stay inside with air conditioning if you are vulnerable to the heat. And really, who is it at a one? 110 degrees. And that is the California Report for Wednesday, June 28th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm your host, Saul Gonzalez. Thanks so much for listening, and have a great day.
0: In regional news... The National Weather Service's excessive heat watch is still scheduled to be in effect from June 30th to July 2nd. From Friday morning to Sunday evening, dangerously hot conditions with temperatures ranging from 105 to 110 will be possible, and extreme heat will significantly increase the potential for heat-related illnesses, especially for those working or participating in outdoor activities. Despite the high temperatures, it's recommended that people continue to stay out of swift, cold waterways but there is one option available for residents looking to cool down this weekend. NID announced in a media release that it's pleased to welcome visitors to Scott's Flat Lake. That being said, the district advises that its day-use area fills quickly, so they recommend arriving early in the day to avoid being turned away at the gate. Swimming in the lake is a safe alternative to recreating in rivers and streams. Even with full capacity, there's still plenty of water to enjoy. But a higher volume of water also means that many sandy beaches are underwater. The use Recreation Area has considerably shrunk in size compared to previous summers, and so that's why capacity is a concern. Entrance to the Scotts Flat use Area is through the Campground Gate 2 on Scotts Flat Road in Nevada City. From Highway 20, it's a five-mile drive to the entrance gate throughout the summer nid will place signs starting at the top of scotts flat road notifying drivers when the day use area is at capacity it fills up most quickly on weekends and will undoubtedly see an uptick in visitors given the upcoming weather so if you're looking for an escape from the heat consider planning ahead and arriving early and in terms of other cooling options public information officer taylor wolf told the kvmr news team that while no official cooling centers are expected to open Libraries will be accessible to the public for their regular hours throughout the heat wave. And a bonus, the county has several summer learning programs taking place right now, so it might be a good time to visit the library anyway. Ubinet reports that the Bureau of Land Management has announced seasonal fire restrictions, which become effective today for public lands managed by the Motherlode, Ukiah, and Bishop field offices. These restrictions are necessary due to dry conditions and wildland fire danger. They're placed in addition to the year-round statewide fire prevention order, which was issued on April 28th of 2020. On average, human-caused wildfires make up 95% of all wildfires in California. Records show that recreational target shooting has sparked more than half of the wildland fires within BLM-managed public lands in the last decade. And many of these wildfires occur close in proximity to roadways, communities, and recreational areas posing considerable threat to public safety. If you're recreating on public lands around homes and communities, taking individual responsibility to reduce wildfire risk before a fire occurs can help keep property, the public, and firefighters safe. The Motherlode Field Office and Ukiah Field Office seasonal fire orders will remain in effect until further notice. If you're interested in learning more about preventing wildfires, you can visit www.readyforwildfire.org. Turning now to a look at the regional weather forecast from the National Weather Service. In Grass Valley and Nevada City, tonight, clear with a low around 61. Thursday, sunny with a high near 92. Thursday night, clear with a low around 65. For Truckee and Lake Tahoe, Tonight, isolated showers and thunderstorms before 8 p.m., then isolated showers between 8 p.m. and 11 p.m. Mostly cloudy, then gradually becoming clear, with a low around 46. Thursday, sunny, with a high near 78, and Thursday night, clear, with a low around 50. And for Sacramento and the surrounding valley, tonight, clear, with a low around 60, Thursday, sunny and hot, with a high near 101. Thursday night, Clear with a low around 64. Currently, there are no red flag warnings or fire weather watches. You're listening to the evening news on KVMR. It's summer and our local state parks are beginning to bustle with the familiar seasonal hum of outdoor recreation. Coming up, Sid Brown, a board member of the Sierra Gold Parks Foundation, provides us with the latest tips about how you can make the most of our area's parks and trails in a walk in the park.
5: Well, we've just had the summer solstice, the longest day of the year. And boy, what a beautiful late spring we've had and a beautiful start to our summer season. Well, with the summer and the heat, of course, there's the pull to get cool and to visit the river. I've been watching the flows and the flows have been very high, way higher than normal for this time of year for months. And we've been hearing that it's not a good idea to visit the South Yuba River before the 4th of July in general. And this year, of course, more than ever, the flows have been very, very high, but they have been dropping. So I'm happy to see that, even though the flows are dropping toward more normal flows, the water is still very cold, and one thing to remember for those who like to go to the river and have visited the river on numerous occasions and feel very confident in their recreational activity, with the flows like we've had this last year, the substrate and the channel can change rather dramatically. There can be hazards of subsurface, so even when the flow is low You may uh, be surprised at what you encounter below the surface of the water. So I do encourage people to be very, very, very cautious with their water contact activities. And please don't even go in if you're not a strong swimmer, if you don't have flotation protection. We do not want any more tragedies along our beautiful river parkway. Let's see. Oh, there's a new pedestrian bridge at the Point Defiance Trail down at South Yuba River State Park, accessed from the Bridgeport locality. And speaking of Bridgeport, that's one of the very heavily used access points along the South Yuba River. I do want to remind all our park visitors to park in designated areas. There is a lot of signage along the road where we ask that you not park. It is no parking areas, and I've been told that those no parking signs will be enforced. So it's really important to make sure that emergency vehicles and all vehicles are able to pass. So that's why we direct people to park in designated parking areas. And if the place is so crowded that there are no available designated parking places available for you, then perhaps you should find another less crowded place to enjoy your your little nature fix. I've got some things coming up at Empire Mine. Later in the summer, we're going to have our annual heritage rose sale. That'll be August 19th. In the last few years that we've had that, we sell out. So if you're interested in having and trying to secure a heritage rose in a um, gallon container that has been propagated from heirloom roses at Empire Mine, you might want to put August 19th on your calendar Come early if that's your thing to want to have a little piece of Empire Mine's Rose Garden in your home. And then we have Miner's Picnic coming up again at Empire Mine on August 26th. And I'll be reporting more about what we'll offer then at our next Walk in the Park time. I do want to report that we had a lovely humbug day out at Malakoff Diggins on June 10th, looking in the rearview mirror it was a cooler day, cloudy, even rained a little bit toward the very tail end of the day. But, boy, it was a, a really sweet experience for all those that came. And we had a nice attendance, a very family-friendly event, low-key. But we had gold panning demonstrations and people in costume and period attire we have a little parade. We demonstrate the water cannon, the water monitor. And I really encourage people, if you haven't been to Humbug Day, uh, put it on your calendar for next year. It's always the second Saturday in June. And come on out and have an old-time visit with your family. There's music and information at all the buildings, and it's a really special place. Okay, and then uh, we are very proud Sierra Gold Parks Foundation in cooperation with California State Parks and the local Nisanan Rancheria have uh, installed a new interpretive panel down at 49 at the South Yuba River crossing and I encourage people to check that out. It's a beautiful panel. We worked really closely with Shelly Covert of the Nevada City Nisenan, and the Uba Seo, the uh, native term for the Yuba, is described and talks about what you may experience when you come to visit our beautiful Yuba River. Well, that's it for now. I'll have more to tell you next time at a walk in the park.
0: The opening of a lithium mine is currently underway in northern Nevada, and its development has caused issue and concern for environmentalists. Up next, KVMR's Al Stoller speaks with the Reno Sparks Indian Colony's Tribal Historic Preservation Officer about the mine's implications for surrounding Native American tribes.
2: Electric vehicles are heavy. A lot of that weight comes from the same sources as the weight of an internal combustion-powered vehicle, cast iron and sheet metal and plastic. But EVs have another source of weight that makes them heavier than internal combustion cars. their batteries. And those batteries need lithium. What is planned to be the largest lithium mine in the United States is now under development in northern Nevada, much to the consternation of some environmentalists and Indian tribes. I spoke with Mishan Eben, Tribal Historic Preservation Officer for the Reno Sparks Indian Colony. Could you tell me where the M.I.N.E. Project stands right now? You know, this has
6: been going on quite a long time. The end of April, the beginning of May, a ceremonial prayer camp was set up by Paiute and Shoshone members and elders and allies and friends. That prayer camp was set up by erecting teepees, what the old people call holy houses, where prayers are conducted and taken place. And at this place, there was prayers for the unmarked burial grounds, the unmarked burial graves of the ancestors that were massacred in this area. And then they also were praying about the water. Water is an important part of any Native people's prayers. That camp was raided by the Humboldt County Sheriff as well as Lithium Nevada Corporation Security. Right now, the construction is happening up there. They are digging. The mine would cover over 17,000 acres. They will dig 400 feet deep. This mine could last 46 to 100 years the Environmental Impact Statement, the Record of Decision that was signed in January um, 2021, along with the Cultural Resources Inventory, the Historic Properties Treatment Plan, the Memorandum of Agreement, did not acknowledge or talk about the September 12, 1865 massacre. This is one of the last Places of sage-grouse habitat, sage-grouse is very important to Native people, not only for food, but also their ways of teaching the people. Most mining companies, if they are in an area where eagle nests or eagles are, they apply for a permit, and it's called an Eagle take Permit lithium nevada corporation was provided an eagle take permit by the u.s fish and wildlife services The mine would use roughly four million gallons of water use per day and probably would pollute the groundwater early on in the environmental impact statement the environmental protection agency criticized the corporation's analysis showing little harm so yeah this is an environmental disaster To blow up a mountain, that's not green energy. To do all this extractive mining and take a bunch of water and, and annihilate ecosystems and habitats, that is not what you call green energy. You can't destroy the earth to save the earth. There are 40 other lithium mines coming to the Great Basin. This is the first that was done very wrong, and it's also the largest lithium mine in the country possibly the world, I'm not sure. There's 40 other lithium mines coming.
2: What do you see coming next?
6: Well, I'm not planning anything next. What's coming next, is you probably have seen, is that Lithium Nevada has now filed lawsuits similar to, I guess you would call them, um, SLAP suits, S-L-A-P-P, trying to stop people from voicing out against Lithium Nevada's corporation and what their project entails. They're just suing them to keep them keep them hushed up.
2: I've been speaking with Mishan Eben, Tribal Historic Preservation Officer for the Reno Sparks Indian Colony. For KVMR, I'm Al Stoller.
0: That's our newscast for this Wednesday, June 28th. Head over to our website, kvmr.org, or subscribe to the KVMR News Podcast to hear more. KVMR gets support from... Rental Guys, offering equipment rentals from household and landscaping tools to heavy machinery for excavating to construction, including bobcat and u-cart concrete, family owned and operated since 1959. Located on Railroad Avenue in Grass Valley. RentalGuys.com. And Sierra View Medical Eye Incorporated, serving eye care needs since 1965 providing optical services, cataract and glaucoma evaluations, also treating diseases of the eye, on Sierra College Drive in Grass Valley, online at svme2020.com. Support for KVMR's Future of Radio project comes from AJA Video Systems, empowering the next generation of local journalists and broadcasters. This KVMR Evening Newscast was produced by Kelly Reese. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Julia Jem. Have a great night.